This podcast has been brought to you with the support of Wise, the account that helps you manage your money all around the world. With a Wise account, you can send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. Whether you're traveling through Asia, freelancing in France, or buying that dream property in Oz, Wise is the easy way to connect all your finances internationally. You can even send money home to mum in minutes. Join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com. Hello, I'm Damien Venuto. It's January 27th and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. After five and a half years, the Jacinda Ardern Premiership has come to an end. Following her shock resignation, Ardern has officially vacated the ninth floor and is now a backbench MP free from the burden of the country's highest office. From a terrorist attack to a volcanic eruption and onto a pandemic, her tenure as Prime Minister was complicated and challenging. And while Ardern has been applauded for her crisis management and international reputation, her critics have also stressed that her government's execution on big policies was sometimes lacking. So as the dust settles on Jacinda Ardern's political career, what legacy will she leave behind? How will we remember a politician that is broadly admired, but also highly divisive? Today, I'm joined by Newstalk ZB senior political correspondent Barry Soper for his take on what the name Jacinda will mean to future generations. Barry, to start with, now that we've had time to digest the news of her shock resignation, how much of a surprise is this in hindsight? Well, it really didn't come as any great surprise to me, I must say. I talked about this last year, that I doubt that uh, Jacinda Ardern would have made the election. So the fact that she decided to call it quits now, I think, was probably sensible from her point of view, because at least it gives the Labour Party sometime in the run-up to the election. If she'd left it any later, it would have been a repeat of the Mike Moore, Jeffrey Palmer thing in the 80s where really Labour was done at the election. And I think it's worth, though, remembering that any person that takes over from a Prime Minister in an election year has never won the election. So Chris Hipkins, if he wants to win, is uh, really going to have to work very, very hard. Barry, given the challenges of coming in midway through a term, what does Chris Hipkins need to do? What does he need to change in order to ensure that Labour has a good election in October? Well, there was little doubt that uh, Jacinda Ardern um, gave the appearance of being removed from the person in the street. She wasn't relatable. To me, her unpopularity began through overexposure during the COVID crisis. And you remember Every day she was fronting from the so-called podium of truth. To me, it was, and I said it at the time, it was inappropriate for a prime minister to be fronting up every day. I mean, Chris Hipkins finally got the job of doing it. He should have been doing it from the start. So she got overexposed. Chris Hipkins likes to say he's a boy from the hut. He's very much down to earth, more so than what Jacinda Ardern has been. Interestingly, his first engagement was with business, Now, business has been hammered by this government throughout COVID, even though there has been assistance for them, particularly the hospitality industry has been really badly hit. 
So it was appropriate that Chris Hipkins went to Auckland, spoke to business before he's speaking to the unions. I believe he's doing that shortly. But that was a good move. It was the new Prime Minister showing that he understands that if the economy is going to recover, the recovery will be business-led. And uh, I think uh, he's made the right move so far. But tell you what, it's going to be a big uphill struggle. How much of a hospital pass do you think this is for Hipkins? I think he's going to find it very, very difficult because no matter what he says, uh, if he says, for example, that three waters, um, look, that's going to be put on hold. We're going to look at how we can make it better. That's all very fine, but we still know it's going to be there after the election if Labour wins. Similarly, there are many other areas that will still be there after the election. So the public knows that even though the face of the government may have changed, the reality of this government remains. And that really is what Chris Hipkins has to fight against. What they have to do is pull a rabbit out of the hat. And believe me, they will be planning to do that this year. It'll be something absolutely extravagant, like, for example, scrapping student loans. You can imagine that would have a backlash for all those people who had struggled to pay their student loans, but it'll be very popular for those who have student loans. And just as Helen Clark did in 2005, when she scrapped the interest rates at the 11th hour on student loans, she won that election over national by 1%. So uh, there are rabbits that can be pulled and that's what Grant Robertson will be told to go away and act like the magician this year. Sir John Key was our last PM to resign rather than getting rolled or losing an election. How does the Dern's decision compare to Key's, given that they've used similar language about not having enough gas left in the tank? Yeah, well, the thing is that John Key was polling much higher than what Jacinda Dern was when he decided to call it quits. John Key read the tea leaves and he discovered that chances of National winning the election were relatively remote. And it's always good to be a Prime Minister. Don't forget, though, he was in his third term. Jacinda Ardern's just in her second term. But, um, you know, it's always good to go out as a winner. But I don't think Jacinda Ardern can make that claim because she may have won the 2020 election in a landslide to Labour. It was like a red COVID wave swept through the country. It was a COVID election, no mistake about it. That wave, now they know, is going to uh, go back out and uh, probably wipe out many of the uh, Labour MPs that currently have positions in their caucus. So she knows that her time was up. She couldn't win. And uh, I think Chris Hipkins probably realises that. But look, stranger things have happened in politics. Who knows what might happen? But my pick is that it's unlikely that Chris Hipkins, no matter what he does and what he says, will be able to pull this one off. Yeah, she's been a really good Prime Minister. Has she had an impact on your everyday life? Yeah, I think the free lunch in schools is big. I was astonished when I met people here who had bad things to say about Jacinda Ardern, who criticised her, because overseas, you know, the perception is that she is, you know, universally popular. Barry, let's just take a moment to reflect on Ardern's legacy. One of her biggest achievements has been her place on the world stage. How does her international popularity compare to previous Prime Ministers you've covered? And was that popularity an asset or a hindrance? You know, I travelled with Ardern throughout her prime ministership. Being a, a young woman in her late 30s, 
and particularly when she gave birth to Neve, and you'll remember she took Neve along to the United Nations General Assembly, which is unheard of. The last person to give birth in office was Benazir Bhutto way back in the 90s. So she was a most unusual prime minister. The thing is that uh, she was good at glad-handing. The media fawned over her. Stephen Colbert is a good example of that. Uh, widely watched show in the United States. I was went to the studio with her and watched I do find it slightly offensive that everyone thinks that every New Zealander starred in either Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit. Were you, when, were you in Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit? Some of us auditioned but weren't successful, okay? That's all I'm going to say. Did you really audition? <laughs> I, I did. did you? People do like her because they recognise her, and I think that recognisability comes through the uh, dreadful incident in Christchurch only months after she became Prime Minister. We were not a target because we are a safe harbour for those who hate. We were not chosen for this act of violence because we condone racism, because we are an enclave for extremism. We were chosen for the very fact that we are none of these things. It is clear that this can now only be described as a terrorist attack. She did well in that. I would also contend, and I don't want to take anything away from her about it, but any person that's leading the country when 50 people are gunned down by a madman, I think they would have reacted in a very similar way to what Jacinda Ardern did. She did show a lot of empathy and she'll be remembered for that. And that's how she has become so well recognized around the world. That's been built on by her. But uh, certainly, um, you know, being young, being a mother, and uh, not being married, dare I say it. That's all the components that fuels the interest of people overseas. And uh, certainly that's my experience of traveling with her. When you do look at her crisis management, these are areas where she performed really well. So the Christchurch terror attack, the White Island eruption, the initial response to COVID-19. How would you rate her skills and in her initial response to each of those events? Dare I say it and dare I claim it, but... Uh, you may remember I ran a story at the beginning uh, of the COVID lockdown saying that they were illegal. Now, you know, one would have thought if you're looking at crisis management, you should make sure all your T's are crossed and your I's dotted because it was illegal. The police had no power to lock people down in the way they did. They changed that. But that's not good crisis management. And I think if you look throughout the uh, COVID pandemic, and the way it's been handled, there are so many aspects of it that could be criticised and uh, uh, it would take a couple of hours to go through them. But she handled it in a way well, but she came across as preaching to her team of five million. It was a bit like Andy Foster telling the All Blacks to stick to the rules and uh, some of the All Blacks uh, thumbed their nose at him, just as uh, many members of the New Zealand public didn't ask to be part of the team that they're so often described as being part of and got annoyed by it. So crisis management, no, I'm sorry, I don't put her up there at the head of that either. Barry, one issue that Adern and her government faced was a bit of a struggle when it came to passing policy. So how much can those major crises be blamed for holding up Labour's agenda and how much of it comes down to poor management? Well, you know, what they tend to do is announce policy and then retract the policy when they decide that they can't go ahead with it. The first big abomination, of course, 
was Kiwi Build, telling us that 100,000 houses were going to be built in a very short time. How would National get more houses built? Kiwi Builds failed. It was 100,000 houses promised, 1,300 built. We've consistently said get rid of some of the red tape that gets in the way of houses being built and we actually worked with the government on housing reforms to get rid of some of that red tape in the Resource Management Act and we think there's more that could be done. We all know Kiwi Build hasn't worked. Stop trying to fix it. You're shuffling chairs on the Titanic at this point. If you look at the baby boomers, bike bridge to Birkenhead is another one. $51 million spent on that before they decided to pull the plug on it. Similarly, three waters, millions have been spent on uh, setting up the system that'll take over from the councils. Again, that could be uh, withdrawn, many millions spent on that. So this government's very good at announcing policy and then retracting from it. And I think really that's the legacy that Jacinda Ardern will have, that a lot of policy was put out there, but a lot of the policy had to be withdrawn as well. So uh, this government has not been, I think, the best government that I've seen in my time in politics. Having covered around 11 prime ministers during your time in the press gallery, where does this government and Ardern rank among those prime ministers? Well, look, I see Jacinda Ardern in a very similar light to David Lange. Now, David Lange was the last populist Labour Prime Minister. The public, those first three years, they loved the uh, Lange-Douglas regime, even though they inflicted pretty tough times on the people, interest rates at 22%, inflation around the same. I mean, they were very tough times to go through. But after living in an icebox under Rob Muldoon, it had to happen. But I see that David Lange and uh, Jacinda Ardern are very similar sorts of people. They are very good at appealing to the public. But when it comes to the machinations of politics within the system, they weren't very good at it. David Longy wasn't, and I don't think Jacinda Ardern has been either. You were also in the press gallery when Robert Muldoon was in power. So we got a date, Prime Minister? Uh, we got a date, the 14th of July, which we've worked out at Government House as being the appropriate date. That doesn't give you much time to run up to an election, Prime Minister doesn't give my opponents much time to run up to an election, does it? I believe that you even got an exclusive drunken concession speech from him before his uh, last election even happened. So how does Adern compare to him in terms of her divisiveness? <laughs> oh, she's terribly divisive. There's no doubt about that. And so was Rob Muldoon. But look, they had big policies, big ideas. Think Big was a good example of it. The Motunui synthetic petrol plant drowning Cromwell for the um, the Clyde High Dam. At least they got things done. Muldoon, at the end of his days, of course, was uh, unpopular, and that's why Rob's mob was formed uh, to try and bolster his own popularity. But at least he ran the full term. He ran, even though he called a snap election in 1984, uh, he had three terms in office. He was personable, and that may come as a surprise to many people, more so than what Jacinda Ardern has been to the media. Rob Muldoon would like nothing more than uh, getting into an argument with a journo at a caucus party, and uh, did so on many occasions, whereas Jacinda Ardern, it would be impossible. And that is one of her problems as well, I think, is that uh, her inability to ever admit that she could have been wrong. 
I am still the MP for Mount Albert. I've got duties to perform. You will see me out and about, but you won't see me in the centre and the cut of thrust of politics. That's for a new team now, and I wish them only the best. How does that feel? Oh, no, I'm going to miss people because that's been the joy of the job. And so my only words are words of thanks. Barry, when the history books are being written on the last five years, how do you think Jacinda Ardern will ultimately be remembered? She'll be remembered as quitting early. She'll be remembered, I would imagine, for her outpourings of grief on the mosque shootings. But she certainly won't be remembered for policy. I think there won't be a lot of memory about Jacinda Ardern other than uh, she was a young woman that was appointed to the job of Prime Minister, a job she once claimed she never ever wanted to do. The second term was overwhelming for her, but really it just shows you, given the overwhelming support she had two years ago, how ill-equipped she was to do the job by quitting a year early. Thanks for joining us, Barry. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in on Monday for another look behind the headlines.